dangerously close calls on the wildfire front line. These brave firefighters very nearly paid with their lives. The devastation in Monty Lake and a warning to those who refuse to evacuate. Restrictions return to BC's COVID hotspot. These steps, we believe, will allow us to contain the transmission. The alarming surge in cases prompting a new clampdown. And the best way to start the day, Canada's golden moment and the BC players who made it happen. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. It seems nothing is holding back the White Rock Lake fire in the interior. It has devastated the community of Monty Lake. And tonight, the city of Vernon is telling residents northeast of Okanagan Lake to be ready to get out. It is aggressive and it's growing more dangerous by the hour. Amadagahi is at the fire evacuation zone's northern extremity tonight. What more can you tell us, Ahmad? Well, Sophie, we are at the junction of Highway 1 and Highway 97, and behind me is where access to communities like Monty Lake, Westwold, and Vernon is cut off, and cut off for good reason. It's because further down that road is where the White Rock Lake fire has had its most devastating impact so far. For weeks, it has been burning out of control. And now the White Rock Lake fire raging between Kamloops and Vernon can also be called destructive. Look what it's done to the small community of Monty Lake. The store is gone. We have people who live right up behind the store and their house went too. So yeah, it's hard to deal with. With the fire heading towards his home just west of Monty Lake, Glenn Redpath is here in Kamloops with just his dog and the clothes on his back. If the fire does come down that mountain, there's no stopping it. The fire taking advantage of the wind in the last 48 hours. Finding what firefighters describe as acceleration channels to move northeast. It jumped a highway, swallowing up structures, torching cars. On its way to the top of the priority list of the BC wildfires. You could look in the backyard and see the fire. It wasn't just a big bonfire, it was everywhere. It was, it was at night, it was like a city. The whole forest was burning everywhere. In relation to Metro Vancouver, the flames now cover an estimated 450 square kilometers, about the size of the entire city of Surrey and parts of Delta combined. Making matters worse for wildfire crews, some given the order to leave hours and sometimes days before the flames arrived stayed behind. A decision a wildfire incident commander has called irresponsible. Last night, firefighters with the BC Wildfire Service once again put their lives on the line to help evacuate people who chose to ignore evacuation orders. A small group of people found themselves being overrun by the rapid advance of this fire. I've always been, if you get an order to leave, pack up and leave. Don't stand around, just get out. Good advice. All right, we saw some pretty devastating uh, looking scenes in those visuals, Imad. Do we know the extent of the damage? 
Well, we got an update from the TNRD just not too long ago, but what it didn't include is the extent of the damage, and that could be because it is still hazardous, maybe dangerous to go in and do some surveying. We've also seen how quickly the conditions change here today as we were in this very spot a couple of hours ago. It was sunny skies and clear. Now the wind has blown the smoke and it's taken over. Sophie. Thanks. All right. Thanks for that. Amadagahi reporting for us tonight. Mm-hmm. Now to the other side of the fire. That's where we have Global's Jules Knox standing by. And Jules, more people, well, we can hear those winds behind you. More people in the North Okanagan are being put under evacuation order tonight. What can you tell us about that? That's right. More evacuation orders and alerts issued today. Now, this is a very volatile situation. It's constantly evolving and it has people in the Okanagan on edge. Now, over the past few days, we've seen evacuation order after evacuation order rolled out by multiple jurisdictions and today it was no exception. More than 600 property owners in the central Okanagan were told around 11 a.m today to go home to get their belongings and that by one o'clock this afternoon they had to get out. Then just recently we got word from the city of Vernon that it's issuing an evacuation alert for properties that are within city boundaries northeast of Okanagan Lake and people to try to arrange their own accommodation because it's in short supply right now. I'm sure it is. All right, Jules, what about the conditions that uh, evacuees and fire crews are dealing with right now? Well, the biggest problem with this fire is the wind. The winds are just gusting and the fire crews say it's just it's hard to battle that. Now, fire officials say ember showers are causing the fire to spark a kilometer ahead of the main blaze and that helps it to move rapidly. BC Wildfire Service says its top priority over the next 48 hours is the aerial attack. There are more than a dozen helicopters bucketing the blaze, plus almost 100 firefighters. Now, we've been at this roadblock for most of the day, and as you can sometimes see behind me, the winds just pick up, and that is not something we want to see. We have had spots of rain throughout the day, but also that brings the concern. We don't want to see any lightning here and any more fires sparked, especially in these conditions. Sophie? Definitely not, no, and we can certainly hear the wind through your microphone at times. All right. Stay safe. Thanks for that, Jules Knox in the Okanagan for us. Now, more restrictions are on the way for the central Okanagan. That's where a COVID-19 surge is continuing. We have 464 new cases province-wide, and 275 of those cases are in the Interior Health Authority. There are no new deaths to report tonight. 52 people are in hospital, a slight drop from yesterday. 24 are in the ICU. We now have more than 2,400 active cases in the province. Nearly 82% of people aged 12 and older have received one dose of COVID-19 vaccine, and close to 69% of eligible people are now fully immunized. For more on those restrictions making a comeback, let's bring in our Keith Baldry in Victoria. What are the rules coming to the central Okanagan, Keith? Yeah, a lot of the old rules are coming back into play, Sophie, because the measures that were introduced last week, notably the mandatory mask requirement for indoor public spaces, obviously not having an impact. Almost 700 cases the last three days, so Public Health Today acted and acted very swiftly. Here's what some of the measures are going to look like in the central Okanagan, which is Kelowna, uh, West Kelowna and Peachland. First of all, night bars, nightclubs and bars are to close effective immediately. Uh, again, restaurant tables are returning to the old six people 
people at the table rule instead of unlimited numbers. Outdoor gatherings can occur, but they're limited to 50 people. That's your backyard barbecues or outdoor weddings and such. Indoor gatherings limited to five people or the members of one other household visiting you. And back to tighter rules on alcohol consumption. Alcohol sales now uh, last call is at 10 p.m. That's designed to curb social gatherings in restaurants, uh, again, which is seen as the source of a number of outbreaks. Dr. Bonnie Henry today making the, uh, the point that one reason they have to move here is not just the total case numbers, but the number of people in hospital is also up, more than 30 people in hospital in Kelowna, and that's putting pressure on the healthcare system, the likes of which we haven't seen for quite some time. Here's Dr. Henry. We're now seeing spillover into our healthcare settings, especially long-term care. We have two outbreaks in the central Okanagan and two additional outbreaks in long-term care. And it's affecting the lives of the residents and staff in those facilities. And also now we're seeing dozens of staff members um, in acute care settings who've been infected. And that puts stress on our health care system across both the central Okanagan, but all of the interiors. We know that uh, Kelowna General, for example, supports all of the interior health region. So a big reason we're seeing this big uptick in numbers, not just in the interior, but some noticeable increases in the interior in the north as well, in the uh, north and Vancouver Island as well. So if we, we just got the, the report, the update on the Delta variant, it is now considered to be responsible for 90% of the cases of COVID-19 in BC, 99% of the cases in the Interior Health Authority, even 79% of the cases in the north. The Delta variant, much more transmissible and uh, infectious. So our numbers are going to climb in terms of COVID-19. Hopefully our our hospital numbers and our IC numbers and our death numbers continue to remain stable as they have been, even with the surge in central Okanagan. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, with the U.S.-Canada border set to reopen to fully vaccinated visitors on Monday, it's bad timing for job action right now at land crossings and airports. Thousands of guards at the Canada Border Services Agency have begun a work-to-rule campaign. Paul Johnson is at Vancouver International Airport. What kind of impact have we seen so far, Paul? Well, Sophie, uh, just this afternoon, we've heard from a small handful of people who say they were displeased about the lineups and the waits getting through customs. But, you know, if you remember what it was like to fly regularly, that could happen at any major airport at any time. And for the vast majority of the people we've spoken with today from the morning on through here to the early evening, most of them say it was actually pretty smooth sailing getting through customs and there really wasn't any observable job action effect because of what's going on. And if there were delays, they were probably indistinguishable from what's been going on uh, connected to the COVID screening, screening protocols that have been happening. Here's what some of the passengers told us it was like today. Any problems uh, with um, getting through with the border guys? Nothing at all today, no. no trouble, there was eh? no lineups, no. No delays, yeah. So very fast. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah no any... problems. They were great. They were great. Yeah. Okay, business as usual. Business as usual. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so obviously YVR is just one component of where CBSA personnel work. Another major one is our land border crossings. Here's a look at the Pacific border crossing, the truck crossing, where we've been getting reports that there is now a five-hour delay for cargo coming north into Canada. Now, that would be a little bit longer than usual, and they've been talking about this as being one of the potential effects of this job action. If it continues, is it could affect our supply chains because CBSA personnel 
They take care of clearing that cargo at our land crossings, and they also clear everything that comes in through the mail system as well. So if this lingers on for a number of days, obviously the hotels and the hospitality sector are going to be getting worried about this, but also our supply chains. And we've seen they've been strained already because of the pandemic. Mm. Sophie? All right, we'll see how it plays out. Thanks for that, Paul Johnson at YVR tonight. An early morning, very early morning for many people across Canada today, filled with tension, nail-biting, and finally, jubilation. (laughs) It's early to be that excited. That was the family and friends of Julia Grossa watching from their Coquitlam home as she scored the winning goal, giving Canada the gold medal over Sweden in women's soccer at the Tokyo Games. I was bringing sports director Squire Barnes to talk a little bit more about this. I was also making that kind of noise (laughs) in my my apartment thinking, oh boy, I hope my neighbor is awake right now. (laughs) So sorry if they're watching right now. That's okay. I'm I'm sure they were up. At least they should have been. They changed the color, Squire. That's what they set out to do, and they certainly did. Exactly. Uh, They had a couple of bronze, and, um, you know, when this tournament started, a lot of people in soccer didn't think Canada could get to this level. It was the Americans were the team to beat a game, but the team that eliminated the Americans were the Canadians. And they just kept pushing and pushing, and yeah, they won some shootouts like today, but they won. And the great thing about this is a lot of the players grew up watching this team over the years and watching Christine Sinclair. And a lot of the young players really wanted to deliver that gold medal to the GOAT, Christine Sinclair, and they were able to do that. And that, I think, was the best thing of all, because this team in years past, inspired a whole generation of young women to play soccer, and you're seeing the results of that inspiration with gold. That picture is so great of Christine Sinclair, you know, just relishing that moment. And I think not only did her teammates want to win for her, but I think the whole country, the whole soccer soccer world wanted this for Christine Sinclair. And a lot of people, Sophie, thought, you know, the moment Christine Sinclair got the gold medal around her neck, she was going to go, okay, I'm going out on top. Thanks for <laughs> everything. See you all later. No, she wants to keep playing. She doesn't want to give it up just yet. Well, we'd love to continue to watch her play, that's for sure. All right, we'll get more from you in sports uh, about the reaction to the gold medal win. Uh, Kylie Stanton also has a story for us, more from the Grosso family, because (laughs) what a thrill for them to watch their little girl score the winning goal. And very nice of them to invite us. Absolutely. To watch with them. Thank you for that. All right. Thanks, Squire. We'll talk to, you, talk to you in a bit. A Vancouver cyclist left spinning his wheels because of ICBC's new no-fault model. Hit by a car, left with broken bones and a broken bike. Why he says the so-called enhanced coverage barely covers anything at all. That's next on the News Hour. Construction site crime scene, the key material stolen from a building site in Langley, and how this wasn't the first time they've been hit later. Also tonight, something's fishy on your seafood labels, why you may not be getting what you paid for. That's still to come. Right now, though, ICBC's no-fault insurance model is under fire from a cyclist who says there are serious gaps in the system. A Vancouver man says he's been left by the public insurer to pay out of his own pocket when it comes to recovering from a vehicle collision that wasn't his fault. John Hua reports. 
parked, damaged, and collecting dust. This bike is a constant reminder of the close call that could have easily claimed Richard Costello's life. I'm riding through the intersection just at the corner of my eye. I see a white vehicle driving right towards me. And the painful road to recovery, he says ICBC's no-fault coverage has only made worse. Just get a sense early on that you, you're going to be in for a bit of a fight to, to sort of to, to get better again. The collision occurred on May 9th at the intersection of East 2nd and Ontario when the driver of the vehicle ran a red light. Costello suffered a third degree separation in his left shoulder. And this is as far as I can move it in front of me. And fractures to his scapula and ribs. You're not going to get over this in a week or two. This is months and, and potentially, you know, a year before I, I have full mobility back. It was when Costello went to the physiotherapist referred by the hospital doctor, he says the pain of dealing with ICBC started to set in, surprised to be paying out of pocket for a portion of the sessions. Just adds to the overall um, stress of, of, of everything. The public insurer says its coverage for recovery treatments is based on fair market rates in consultation with health providers and medical associations. Very little thought was put into specialties, people with extra expertise. Um, and what is happening is many injured people are going into their own pockets in order to pay for their treatment. Back to Costello's $16,000 dream bike, he says getting it replaced has been a nightmare, despite two shops ruling the carbon fiber frame is unfixable. ICBC said it's only doing its due diligence and requires three independent quotes. The frame is, is essentially compromised and, and it, could, it could potentially give way at any moment. An avid cyclist who knows a thing or two about speed, Costello is warning others about what he calls a painfully slow process and serious gap in coverage ICBC needs to close. John Hua, Global News. Still to come, why fully vaccinated doesn't always mean fully vaccinated. The only thing that I can do is just go get another vaccine. Would-be travelers facing a mix-and-match mess. And up next, homicide at a busy Vancouver park. What VPD are appealing for. Southbound crash on the Delta-Surrey border. This is Scott Road around 82nd Avenue. The tow truck just arrived, so southbound traffic going to be delayed for a little while longer. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Tim Main. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Vancouver police are investigating the city's 12th homicide of 2021. Police say 60-year-old Gilles Hébert was beaten unconscious in Grandview Park on Commercial Drive yesterday afternoon. He was rushed to hospital where he died of his injuries. A 39-year-old man has been arrested. The attack happened at around 1.30 and police believe many people were walking or driving by. So they're asking anyone who witnessed the assault to contact them. Surrey RCMP are investigating a fatal overnight crash involving a pedestrian in Wally. Emergency crews were called out shortly before 3 a.m. after reports that a person was struck by a garbage truck. RCMP say the pedestrian died on the scene. The driver remained and is cooperating with investigators. Anyone who witnessed the crash or has dash cam video in the area at the time of the incident is asked to contact Surrey RCMP.
A home builder in Langley says she's out more than $12,000 because of lumber theft from her construction sites. Thieves hit the site looking for wood or other easy pickings. Sometimes they'll even rip plumbing straight out of the wall or rip up flooring to scavenge the wood. It's happened three times in the past month alone. Each time they were caught on camera. But builders say police need to do more to track the crooks down. Coming up, fish fraud. It's very often a cheaper species that's subbed in and labeled as a more expensive species. Why you can't always judge your food by its label. Plus vaccine confusion. Why some fully immunized travelers may be facing roadblocks. Slow north and southbound along the Queensboro Bridge. Northbound slow from along the Queensboro Connector from almost northbound 91, the Anasis Channel Bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $34 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. In Global One, I'm Tim Maine. Ottawa and coastal BC First Nations have signed an historic deal to establish commercial fishing opportunities in the region. The Coastal First Nations Fisheries Resources Reconciliation Agreement will provide access to funding opportunities for eight coastal First Nations on BC's north and central coast and Haida Gwaii. The community-based fisheries model will help generate jobs for local First Nations and also support the First Nation to create a commercial fishing company in the region. Agreement opportunities include a new commercial fishery that allows established and new fishers from the nations to fish multiple species close to home using mid-size and small vessels. They will be provided to support uh, different support mechanisms, including business planning, training, mentoring, and access to multiple fisheries to help them in achieving viable livelihoods. The agreement will also increase the First Nations' involvement in the management of fisheries in B.C. Well, when it comes to buying food, we want to know that what's on the label is what we're getting. But a new study says with seafood, that's often not the case. Travis Fortnum reports. When it comes to buying seafood in Canada, how confident are you that what's on the label is what you're getting? If it looks good, we buy it, we eat it. You're hoping they're... They're right when they put the label on there. Well, I guess there's a lot of water here, I guess. Yeah, Is should be safe. I well, I guess I just assumed that's where it comes and what's on the label. A new report says almost half the time nationwide, the source or even the type of fish on the label isn't what you're actually getting. Concerning for the consumer, you know, no one wants to be buying something that isn't what it says on the label. Independent nonprofit Oceana Canada says DNA testing of seafood from restaurants and retailers in Halifax, Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto showed 46% of the time the product wasn't as advertised. It's very often a cheaper species that's subbed in and labeled as a more expensive species. So often it's economically motivated, this fraud. So yeah, you will see a completely different species than what you think you're getting. Seafood fraud, Thurston calls it, detected in 52% of samples in Montreal, 50% in Ottawa and Toronto, 
32% in Halifax. In coastal communities, this labeling does tend to be lower because, you know, you have uh, you have greater access to, to local products. The shorter the supply chain, the less likely you are to, to find a product that's been mislabeled. The longer the supply chain, the more opportunities for fish to be misrepresented when it gets to you. The report finds it happening more in restaurants than retailers, and Thurston says government's got to step in. You shouldn't need to be an expert in global trade or, or fish species to feel confident about what you're buying in a Canadian restaurant or a Canadian grocery store. The federal government committed to formulating a so-called boat-to-plate traceability system back in 2019, with similar systems in place in the U.S., EU, and in development in Japan. Thurston says she understands the COVID-19 pandemic may have put that on the back burner, but says it's time to get to work on this. She says the best thing a consumer can do, ask questions. And if the price point seems too good to be true, it probably is. Travis Fortnum, Global News. In health news tonight, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is anticipating it will have a national COVID-19 booster shot strategy by September. Cases across the U.S. are soaring as the country deals with transmission of the Delta variant. Some other countries are taking action now, Israel offering booster shots to vulnerable populations. But the U.S. has yet to come out with a plan. The FDA says when released, the strategy will outline which groups of Americans should get the third shot and when. Meanwhile, Canada's top doctor, Theresa Tam, says discussions around booster shots in this country are still evolving. A touring musician says he followed all the guidance here in B.C. when it comes to getting fully vaccinated against COVID-19. But it's those very guidelines that could prevent him from getting back to work in the U.S. Aaron MacArthur explains. Internationally, that's the wrong paper. The proof is in plain sight. Tavish Crow is fully vaccinated. He has his two shots. The first, AstraZeneca. The second, Moderna. I went and got the first available vaccine um, under the guidance of the, the government. But his protection isn't recognized the same in B.C. as it is elsewhere in the world, crucially the U.S. In a normal year, the musician would be touring with Carly Rae Jepsen. And after a long layoff, he's scheduled to play a festival in New York in September. But his mixed vaccines aren't recognized in that state. He can't go to work. I phoned a bunch of the, uh, the available hotlines and the, everyone sort of put me through to different numbers and uh, Bonnie Henry's office, uh, a medical health officer, um, and everyone's saying in BC you cannot get a third vaccination. Crow's third shot would be his second Moderna. Other provinces, notably Quebec, have given workers an opportunity to get that third shot to comply with U.S. rules so they can travel, but not in B.C. The focus here remains on getting more people protected. We are working with Canada. We're influencing uh, with our colleagues to the south in the United States. We're working as well with the WHO to ensure that uh, uh, that all of the WHO recognized vaccines are acceptable for travel in countries around the world. So I just tell people, be patient. Crow's time is running out. He needs to comply with New York's rules two weeks ahead of the scheduled show. His only option might be to fly to the U.S., where he can likely get his shot to earn a living. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, an historic day for Canadian soccer. This will change, you know, women's soccer forever.
How today's Olympic win will have a far-reaching impact. Also ahead, Lemonade for Lytton, a Chilliwack girl's sweet fundraiser for the devastated town. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We are seeing evidence tonight of ways large and small that people are stepping up to help the victims of BC's wildfires. When she heard the town of Lytton was devastated by wildfire, nine-year-old Emily Lowen knew she wanted to help. So she got out her table and she set up shop in Chilliwack, selling lemonade at two bucks a pop, with the proceeds going to the people of Lytton. By the time her fundraiser was over, Emily had raised $3,400. Well, me and my dad were watching the news, and I saw that Linton was on fire. And, and um, I said I wanted to help them. We heard about Emily's efforts for uh, helping the people of Linton, and we wanted to come down and just uh, purchase the lemonade and do our part. Emily got to meet the mayor to hand over the $3,400 check. Now, she has become something of a celebrity because of her lemonade stand, having done a number of radio interviews. But the best part of her experience? Being on Global News. I'm not making that up. She said that. <laughs> awesome. But Emily, what That's you did. 1,700 cups of lemon lemonade. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, it's been so dry. A lot of people are very thirsty, but good for her. But yes, it has been very dry, Christy, um, and we will see a little bit mm -hmm. of precipitation, hopefully. Yeah, so it's not going to be as widespread as we were hoping. Sophie, it's going to be much more spotty, and so some areas may not see as much. Let's focus in on the interior regions, and specifically that uh, White Rock Lake fire area. This is a fire weather index, and what it indicates is the forecast for tomorrow in terms of the intensity at which fires will burn. And you can see quite a bullseye in through the Kamloops area just west of that White Rock Lake fire area, and then across the Suez region as well. That's partly because of the winds that we're going to see, as well as the temperature and potentially the lack of precipitation in a few of those isolated areas. The bulk of the precipitation will fall along the coast, central and southern regions. We're talking about potentially 20 uh, millimeters. But in the interior, you can see there will be some areas that won't see as much. Uh, computer models are varying in terms of where that precipitation will fall, so we'll certainly have to watch as we head into tomorrow. But some breaks of blue sky are also possible in through the interior. The bulk of the moisture for those areas, I actually expect it to be overnight Saturday into Sunday morning. And by the way, the south coast area. Saturday night, we have a risk of thunderstorms. In the meantime, there's your Saturday forecast. So a chance of showers in these areas, but we're also expecting gusty winds with that instability and those uh, showers pushing through. South coast will see scattered showers through most of the day tomorrow. Sunday conditions dry up, but we are expecting still mainly cloudy skies until later in the day. And then it looks like we're back to a mostly sunny uh, sky Monday, Tuesday, and through much of next week as well. Here's tonight's central wind weather window, central windows weather window. No, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, this is the McKay Creek fire, Sophie, from just last night, sorry, two nights ago, uh, from right near Lillooet. Thank you to Sid for uh, sharing that with us. Quite a, an exceptional fire in that region, as we're seeing many across the province right now. Quite a season so far. Okay, thanks, Christy. Well, if things got a little louder this morning, you can blame Canada's women's soccer team, sparking loud celebrations first thing this morning by winning gold at the Tokyo Olympics, led by BC stars Christine Sinclair and Julia Grosso. Kylie Stanton now with the excitement felt by Grosso's family and right across the nation. I can't watch! 
breaths, some prayers, and a roller coaster of emotions. A scene repeated across the country Friday morning from living rooms to bars. This is a historic moment for Canadian soccer. It's surreal. For the first time in history, the team who had made it their mission to change the color of their medal made it to the Olympic final. Way to go, girls. Way to go. After two halves and two periods of extra time, the game was tied at 1-1. Sweden and Canada went to penalty kicks to decide gold. And after five shots each solved nothing, it was off to sudden death. Canada turned to their lucky number seven, BC's Julia Grosso. Her family and friends watching from Vancouver, holding their collective breath. To win it for Canada! The high stakes on the pitch. Becoming high pitch celebration. But it went in. Doesn't matter. It went in. Wow! Yeah! It was Grosso's golden goal, and at last, a golden moment for veteran captain Christine Sinclair. In her hometown of Burnaby, they couldn't wait to celebrate their champion, hanging a gold medal on the center named in her honor. 21 years of soccer for Team Canada. It's an amazing record, and uh, she has certainly led Canada through many battles. We're so pleased that she was able to bring home the gold after all she's given. And the accolades just keep coming, even longtime rivals sending messages of support. Sinky, nobody deserves it more than you, sister. Awesome. I feel super emotional for you. Good job. It's a storybook ending that's almost unbelievable. Unbelievable, unbelievable. But these women did believe, showing others who may one day follow in their footsteps, anything is possible. What we've been able to see over the years, right, is this team kind of climbing higher and higher and higher. So what a day today. And this will change, you know, women's soccer forever. Kelly Stanton, Global News. And they weren't the only two BC players, of course, on Team Canada. Jordan Heidema. Yeah, she came in for uh, Christine mm -hmm. St. Clair. Um, I actually thought, and I, I do think, that Christine St. Clair is probably kind of glad she didn't have to participate in the penalty kicks. Yeah. Because um, I know she missed one in the uh, one against Brazil, and that really upset her. And, of course, the, the game against the Americans, she picked up the ball before the penalty right. kick and then dropped it for uh, Jesse Fleming to put it in. Well, she chose well. Yeah, she did choose well. That doesn't mean she's not. She is the greatest goal scorer of all time. She just yeah. likes to score them when the play is moving rather than standing at a spot. Yeah. You know what? It was great to see the the new, the next generation. Yeah, and, awesome. and coming up, we're going to talk to some of the past generations, some of the players who basically laid the foundation for what happened today. Because this program, the Canadian women's soccer team, has been a good team for a long, long time. All right, Squire, and later, best way to end off the week with satellite debris. All right, Squire, a lot of um, buzz in the newsroom oh, well, yeah. everywhere. It was hard to get, it was hard to be productive today. A lot of buzz from one end of the country to the mm -hmm. other. Kind of reminds me of 2010. Yeah. Canada certainly likes its golden goals in the Olympics, be it Sidney Crosby in 2010 or Julia Grosso today. Uh, Canada's women's soccer team 
finally got the Olympic gold medal after two straight bronze at the Olympics. And the best part of all, we've said it a lot already on this show, is the player who inspired a lot of the younger members of this team was there to enjoy it, Christine Sinclair. The hero for a lot of her teammates when they were growing up, like Julia Grosso, she's been a constant in this program for a long time. A program that has been more successful than any of our other national soccer teams for quite a while. Canada invested in a much bigger way in women's soccer about 10 years ago, and that investment, as we all know, paid off today. This is a celebration that is rippling through a Canadian women's program that has been building towards this golden moment for a quarter century. Players like Randy Hermes, who was on the national squad from 2000 to 2008, is beaming like she was on that field today in Tokyo. At the end of the day, I think all of us um, feel a bit of this win, and we are so super thankful and grateful um, for every single ounce of energy, um, blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into this because we all you know, feel like the gold is coming home for the first time um, in history. I have nothing but warmth for this program and, and the players and what they've accomplished today. Andrea Neal was a national team member from 1991 to 2007. She was even an assistant coach from 2009 to 11. So if anyone can see the big picture, it's Neal. And she saw how this team brought our country together in a way it's never done before. One of the, the biggest distinctions in Canada is people are not talking about women's soccer. They're talking about, did you see that game today or yesterday? Or cafes are being opened early to watch the games like it was this morning. That, that I think, has already been accomplished. Of course, everyone is happy for Christine Sinclair, that Canada's greatest soccer player ever got the ultimate payoff very late in her career. When they say you leave it all on the pitch, you leave it all on the pitch. And I couldn't be more proud and ecstatic for Christine Sinclair. And you could see that in her teammates. They wanted to win for her, and they did. And it was almost like the soccer gods were on their side. Canada never did score a goal in open play in their three playoff games. Instead, they took advantage of their opportunities. And when their opposition blinked, the young Canadians were fearless. They just threw caution to the wind and went for it. And... I feel as though they had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And there was something within and there was something not letting Canada lose. And that was the heart and the passion and the emotion and everything in Breton to those players. And they wanted to win and they willed it to win and they did. Canada also won silver today. Mo Ahmed of uh, St. Catharines took second in the men's 5,000 meters, breaking uh, 13 minutes. He was fourth on the turn, coming for home. Then he went on the inside lane and past two runners to take second place. And how about Andre de Grasse? Rallied Canada to win bronze in the men's 4x100. His third medal of the game, sixth overall. He's the most decorated male Olympian ever for Canada. He's never not medaled in a final he's been in. Italy won gold, Great Britain took the silver. Okay, medal standings, Canada's up to 22. Uh, that equals the amount of medals we won in the last Olympics in Rio, those seven gold medals are the most in the summer games for Canada, or make that the six, six gold medals. Oh, wait a minute, forget that part. The 22, we need seven to equal, uh, to equal Barcelona. Okay, I got a little ahead of myself. I'm a proud Canadian. The uh, Whitecaps were on a shopping spree this week. They acquired experienced defender uh, Florian Jungworth from San Jose, he's 32. He's been in the MLS for four years. He was the Quakes Defensive Player of the Year twice. Uh, Vancouver basically just gave San Jose cash in this deal. And the Whitecaps also loaned 
Ottawa Theo Bear or make that Ottawa's Theo Bear to a Norwegian club in the second division. Bear hasn't played much this year, but he's a good young player. He was on Canada's under-23 team. The Whitecaps are hoping he can get some more playing time, improve his game, and then come back here. The Whitecaps will play the LA Galaxy on Sunday. Speaking of playing, Mosaic, Regina, lots of fans. Michael Riley and the BC Lions. And of course, Riley didn't throw the ball all week at practice, but was throwing in the warm-up. And the Lions and Saskatchewan very early in this game are scoreless because it's very early in this game. Uh, Jays and Red Sox tonight. Alec Manoa, who of course played for the Vancouver Canadians at one time, striking out Hunter Renfro. Gave up two runs and five innings of work, and then his team gave him some big help in the fifth inning. The Jays scored nine. Bo Bichette, 2 0 double off the wall. That scores a run, 3 2. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., two run homer to left. That's right, nine in one inning for the Jays. They can hit, and they clearly love playing in Toronto. At last check, 9-2 in the sixth inning. And there you go. I know you've had a busy day, but stick around, Squire, because you have satellite debris for us. Covered. Okay, next, stay with us. Usually I have some idea of what's coming up in satellite debris, but oh. I have no idea. This oh, it's time. a surprise then. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. You're like the audience now. I'm just have like no the idea audience. I either. Okay. Uh, well, first we're going to start off with um, Ed Sheeran. Does he really need the extra money? Anyway, he did a very good Heinz commercial. Here we go. I've got an idea for a Heinz ketchup commercial. I was at this super posh restaurant. Super posh. The type of place that has chandeliers and paintings on the wall and way too many forks. I think classical music was playing. But maybe it was jazz. No, definitely classical. The hostess walks up to me and she says, Mr. Sheeran, is this your first time dining with us? And I say, yep. The waiter comes over. He's telling me about the specials. Super fancy, fancy vegetables, fancy sauces. I said, sounds fancy. So fast forward and the food comes. The waiter goes on to tell me, we are proud to present this farm to table, blah, 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 posh and fancy, blah, 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 with a side of blah, blah, blah. You know, the food looked good. I just thought there was something missing. So I reach into my bag and I take out the only thing that can complete me. And at that point, the whole world came to a stop. In the way to what's screaming through his eyes. So that's my idea. Do you want to do it? And they did. And they did do it. Okay, a couple of old favorites coming up. The first one is um, combining some movie stars, combining some old television stars, a show a lot of people from a certain vintage would know, and they're all selling a candy bar. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. 
Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. <laughs> it never is. <laughs> that commercial takes on new meaning when you think about the fact that our producer, who's on vacation today, is also called Marsha. Good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> and she that. does sometimes get angry with us. But she doesn't look like Danny Trujillo when she no. does. Uh, no. All right. Speaking of uh, old television shows and uh, people of certain vintage would have watched this show too, uh, The Muppets. And this is uh, from a few years ago selling the Toyota Highlander. Anybody need help? Mighty nice of you, Padre. Sweet Highlander. <laughs> Drums! Drums! No, no, no! Drums! Can somebody change the station? Music terrible! Dios mio, this music is melting my brain, okay? We got a whole pack ah. of chickens and a grand piano. Ooh, a drunkard and an organ, too. Da, da. And there's a whole bunch of women playing ah. bingo in the gym. And we can show them all a thing or two for sure. But we ain't got no room for boring. Like, that's just too much space to consume. No, we ain't got no room for boring. For boring, we ain't got no room. Are you doing all right there, fella? They were singing vegetables and chickens. Yeah, happens to me all the time. The all-new Highlander. Toyota. Let's go places! Animal. Was the Dr. Teeth in the Electric Mayhem? Was that the name of the band? I can't remember. I think it was Dr. Teeth. I might be wrong, though. Bring back the Muppets. I love the Muppets. <laughs> All right. Uh, just before we get to uh, a look at our weekend weather, I uh, just want to mention that it looks like there is a tentative deal in the labor dispute between the federal government and the CBSA, the border agents. Paul Johnson was tell us, telling us about that earlier this evening. So we'll have more details tonight on BC One and the news at 11. All right, Christy, take us uh, to the end of the show. Thanks, so, uh, so we are expecting a few showers overnight and certainly on and off throughout the day tomorrow. It should ease off those Sunday morning, leaving us with another dry pattern over the next little while. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for watching.